you would again uh, take out your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we will today be looking at verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire, or yes, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord will remain forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray, God, now that you would help us to give careful attention to the preaching of your word. Be with this your servant. Help us to understand this passage. Help us to see the message of putting to death sin and putting on Christ. May Jesus be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is not for wimps. It is a life of death. It is a life of suffering. It is a life of constant dying to ourselves, putting to death the sin which remains in us. The Christian is not simply one who has been saved from something, saved from the penalty of sin, although that is, of course, true. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. But the Christian is also one who is saved into something. We are brought into the kingdom and made sons and heirs of the promises in Christ. Which is to say that salvation is being brought out of an estate of destruction, out of a state of sin and misery, and being brought into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. We are transformed and made new creatures in Christ who are called to a new life, a life which is a radical departure from the old. Paul, at the beginning of chapter 4, had exhorted the church in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so the Christian is called to a new life, a life of holiness, a life where we are humble and gentle and patient, a life of unity in the Spirit, a life in which Christ Our Savior has bestowed on us, the church, marvelous gifts which are to be used for the benefit of the body, for the good of God's people. 
And so there is a way in which the Christian is to orient his or her life because we are new Christians, are new creatures in Christ as Christians. And since this is so, so, Paul then reminds us that we should not walk as the world does. If we've been transformed, if we've been made a new creature in Christ, then we ought not to walk in the manner in which the world does. We ought not to live as the world lives, because to live as the world lives would be the opposite of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. To live as the world lives would be to live in unbelief. Because the world is committed to unbelief. You see, our calling is not to adopt the manners of this world in our language, in our, in our patterns, in our demeanor, in our view of what is good. We're not to adopt those things. Now, before we get too far, we, it must be kept in mind that this is not some kind of bare moralism. This is not a coming sort of in a vacuum. The Bible does not call us to simply be good for good's sake. We are called to holiness because of what God has done and because of His promises which have been realized in our lives. Because we are among the redeemed in Christ. Our hearts desire to please God and to humbly live for Him. And to Christ is bringing His church into perfect conformity to Himself. He is sanctifying us by His Spirit. You're being sanctified by His Word and Spirit so that we might be enabled to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so, since it is that Christ has changed us, and is in the process of changing us and growing us more and more, we are no longer to operate the way that the world does. We're no longer to walk, as Paul says, as the Gentiles do. Which is to say, as the unbelieving world does. We understand what that looks like. We understand what the world does. We're not to, we're to live like that. Because when we orient our lives like the world does, then we'll be out of sync with our fellow believers. But more importantly than that, we'll be out of sync with Jesus Christ our Lord. The church, that is the body of Christ, is being perfected and growing in conformity to Him. In fact, Christ Himself has made a provision for this when He gave the gift of elders. We talked about this Last week, the elders are to build up the body, to equip. And we, and we talked about the mending that the elders do. That's what equip actually, literally, the word actually means. This is why the Lord has given to us elders. This is why uh, the, the, the Lord gave us the church. This is why our membership vows include the promise to submit in the Lord to to its government and the discipline of the church, even in case we should be found delinquent in doctrine or life, because it's for our good. 
Because we are to submit to that which Christ has established, namely, the elders who watch over and need to give an account for our souls. Because they nurture us and feed us with the Word. And so the Christian is called to live in accordance with the high calling by which Christ has called us. And the high calling that He's called us to, He's called us to personal holiness, faith. And He's provided us also with the Holy Spirit and, of course, with the earthly helps, the elders that we need in this regard. And so the Christian is no longer to, to live as the world lives. And how do they live? They live in the futility of their minds, he says. Now the word futility here has to do with emptiness. For the, for the unbeliever, life under the sun is vanity. It's empty. It's futile. It is without meaning. Without Life without a saving knowledge of God is, is empty. Now keep in mind that Paul's readers in Ephesus were Gentile converts to the Christian faith. And so they had been brought up in the pagan ways. They understood the ways of the pagans very well. They understood well the emptiness of life outside of Christ also. Natural man is unable to conceive properly of the human's purpose in life. If life outside of Christ is meaningless, then why would anybody want to return to that? Why would you want to, why would you want to return to meaninglessness? And that's really the point. The Christian life is radically opposed to the life of unbelief. The sins of the world are not what we are to participate in. So what Paul does here is expand on what the Christian lifestyle should look like with the, the verses which follow, exhorting them to completely leave the practices and lifestyles which they had become accustomed to as they'd grown up with, and to abandon a life of wanton sin and of pagan practice. Because the people of their culture were ethically and morally bankrupt. And so is our culture, by the way. Our own culture is no different. Our culture is ethically and morally bankrupt, too. And the unbeliever then and the unbeliever now walks in futility. And so what Paul then does is break down what this means. Look at verse 18, where he says this, They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Many who are committed to unbelief live in a world which to them appears to be meaningless. They are unable to comprehend man's chief end. They do not know what man's chief end is. In fact, that's a very common question the unbeliever will ask. What is the purpose of life? If there is no God, then there is no purpose, seemingly. They are unable to comprehend man's chief end. Instead, they operate in in intellectual and moral darkness. They're blind. 
This way of thinking then leads to a hardened heart and the practice of all kinds of immorality. Natural man's understanding of the world can be compared to one who is trying to see in a pitch black room. If you were in a room with no windows, lights were off, doors are closed, there's no light, you're not going to find your way very easily. I would probably stub my toe or something. If you're in a room like that, you cannot comprehend it rightly. You don't know where the, where the, you know, the coffee table is. You're going to trip over those things. This, this is where natural man is when it comes to understanding spiritual things. They do not understand the world beyond what is before them. And what they see is darkness, spiritually speaking. They are blind to the truth. They are blind to ultimate reality. And so the unbeliever is darkened in his understanding, not having the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And they're alienated from the life of God. They are strangers to their Creator, who is the author of life, and so they have no life in themselves. They're blind, they're in darkness, and they have no life, because they're alien to their Creator. They don't know the Lord. And so they have no spiritual life. They're ignorant of the truth. Which is, of course, due to their hardened hearts. The Greek word for hardness is actually a medical term which refers to thick and hardened skin, what we might call a callus. The heart of the unbeliever living in the world has become obstinate and hardened. They are so deep in sin that they no longer feel the weight of it. Sort of like, you know, if you have a callus, you know, it gets thick enough, you don't really... It's like a piece of leather, right? Feel anything anymore. Their, heart, their hearts have become hardened. They, they have no regard for their sin, nor do they have regard for God, because their heart has become like a rock. And the only way a rock-hard heart can be changed is through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise of God, that He would change hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Those who have hard hearts, those who are committed to unbelief, are transformed because the spirit is given to them. Their hearts are changed from stone to flesh. The sin-stained heart of stone must be transformed by God's Spirit. It is only the Lord who can change the heart of the unbeliever. This is, by the way, why the Christian can boast in nothing but the Lord. Because were it not for the grace of God, you and I too would be darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant and with hard hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. And so, dark-minded, 
And hard-hearted man, having no spiritual sense of the truth of God, becomes callous, verse 19, and gives himself up to sensuality and are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now notice Paul's words here. He says they give themselves up. Those who are outside of Christ surrender themselves to the sinful desires of their heart. They choose sin and thus they choose to rebel against God. And they will continue in their rebellion against God apart from a heart change. The term used here, calloused, in our translation, is actually a different medical term which means insensitive to pain. You see, it becomes so hardened that they no longer feel the painful effects of their sin and their guilt. They do not have remorse. They have become deadened to it. Regardless of the depth of their sin, there is no sorrow over it anymore. Not about you, but I find that to be frightening. It is the case, though, that people can get to the point where they have totally destroyed their conscience and they are no longer remorseful. When a person living in rebellion against God feeds their sin nature, they can get to a point where they are incapable of feeling anything. Because they have no spiritual life in them. And the most damaging sin, which can, be, can lead to this kind of deadening of the soul, is actually sexual perversion. This is implied by the sensuality that they give themselves up to. This is the kind of sin that they're giving themselves up to. Paul is describing as one who has surrendered to outrageous sexual behavior. When sexual lust is fed, eventually the person will begin to no longer feel the natural guilt which comes from being an image bearer. The relationship between husbands and wives is a beautiful gift from God, but the perversion ought to lead to great sorrow. The continued giving up of one to this kind of sin will lead to a hardness and eventually to the loss of any kind of moral sensation, like like having the, the nerves of your arm or of your leg cut off. You no longer feel it anymore. And that's where our culture is, isn't it? That's where many in our culture find themselves. This lack of moral feeling and discernment then leads to an inability to exercise any restraint. And so the sinner hands themselves over further and further to more perverse desires. And more and more. Like completely unrestrained sinful living. Greedy for impurity, Paul says, and sin. Desiring it more and more and more. They've given themselves totally over to that. And see, I hope you can see that for for unbelief, there is a death spiral for the person living in rebellion against God and his, His Word and engaging in this type of sensuality. And this is where our society is today, isn't it? 
It seems to me that we live in one of the most sexually perverse cultures in history. It seems to me, although I think the reality is there is nothing new under the sun. Here's the thing, the Christian. And this is the point that Paul is driving at. He wants you to understand this is what unbelief looks like. Don't go there. The Christian must flee from sin. Particularly this kind of sin. And we must flee from it because here's the thing, it's all around us. The temptations of the world are all around us, on our television sets, in our movies, in the devices which we we hold in our pockets. It's there. Left to ourselves, unrestrained in any way by God, you and I would wallow in our sin and we would desire more of it to our own destruction. But here's the good news. We're not left to ourselves, are we? We've learned Christ. That's the good news. Living life like the world, totally given over to sin, is altogether incompatible with being in Christ. And Paul reminds us of this in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You have not learned Christ by living like the pagan does. That's not how you learned about Jesus. To know Christ is in complete opposition to a life of sin and impurity. To live like the pagans do. To live like those who are committed to unbelief. You see, the Ephesians did not come to the knowledge of Jesus by their pagan ways. No, that's not how they learned about Christ. They already know. There's no life there. There's only spiritual death. And so the Christian must turn and flee from the immorality of the world. Now, to be clear, Paul assumes his readers have a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. And since this is the case, the sheep of Christ are to live a radically different life because we're in Christ. You've been taught by Him who is the truth. So, how then shall we live? Well, first of all, by putting off your old self. Putting off the old self. You see, we might be redeemed, we might be new creatures, but you know what? That old man, he still clings to you. That man of death still clings. We still have to fight against sin. You see, if the problem is that we're surrounded by temptations to sin, and we must admit that sin, temptations are all around us, right? All of us have various sin, uh, you know, temptations, things we might be led into. It's all around us, though. We're still sinners. We still sin. We're saved by Christ. And that being the case, we need to take off that old sin nature. We need to remove that old dead man from us. Of course, what we're talking about here is what we call sanctification. This is the dying to yourself. This is the putting to death your sinful deeds and desires and seeking to live a godly life in righteousness. 
This is the life of death that I mentioned earlier. We're to put off the old self. We're to put it to death because we have new life in Christ. The imagery Paul employs is of taking off the old self like you might take off, you know, some old dirty clothes. We're to put it off. We're to renounce it. We're to remove it as garments are taken off and laid aside. Now, you you can understand this imagery. Surely you've gotten dirty before. Surely you've maybe worked outside and, you know, maybe in the garden or maybe you're working on a car. Who knows? And you got yourself absolutely filthy. Just grease and dirt and filth. Now, are you going to go out to a fancy restaurant like that? No, you're not. No, you would be embarrassed if you did. Would you wear your sweaty, ragged, ragged, filthy clothes which you had just worked in to to go to... They probably wouldn't even let you in, by the way, if you went to a, a really fancy restaurant. I don't think there's any place in town here that wouldn't let you in, but... There's places that wouldn't let you in. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You'd, you'd want to take those clothes off. You'd, you'd, want to, you'd want to go take a shower. Or at the very least, your family would probably want you to go take a shower. Get cleaned up a little bit. You wouldn't want anything to do with those nasty old clothes. That's the imagery. And generally speaking, people don't go around looking filthy. And that really is Paul's point. Your old life, your life full of sin and corruption and filth, you need to take that off. The sin which so easily clings like nasty grease, that needs to be put away. We are to take off that which belongs to the sin patterns of the world. We are to take off and put away the sin which remains. We are to put it to death. This is a regular exhortation of Scripture. We're to put off the works of darkness. We're to strip away lying and anger and wrath and malice. We're to lay aside all filthiness. And here's the thing. This is the hard work of sanctification. Because, you know, you, you, just, you fall back into sin, don't you? But the good news is that God's Spirit helps us. We have the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Those who have been taught in Christ have been radically transformed so much that their outlook and manner of life has been necessarily turned upside down. Those who are in Christ don't want to live in the way the world lives. They don't want to participate in sinful activities. They long to put off the old, decrepit life of sin. Now again, keep in mind that this section of Ephesians is the Christian response to the grace of Christ. There is no sin which you have committed for which Jesus does not offer forgiveness and rest. Nevertheless, for those who have been given God's grace, our response is to be obedience to His Word. And so those who are in Christ then are those who are seeking to put off the sinful deeds of the flesh. And, and, And you want to do it. And you mourn when you fail to. The Christian is to actively be putting those things to death to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. 
as we put on Christ. And so that's, that's the other part of the imagery. Just as we're to take off the old self, like one might take off an old dirty t-shirt, we're to put on Christ. To put on is to adopt, to make our own. We're to, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And by the way, this is an imperative. This is a command. And it's, it's to be done on an ongoing basis. Be one who is continually putting on Christ. You and I are to be continually renewed in the spirit of our minds. To be renewed is to be made new. And so if putting the off sin is the negative aspect of sanctification, then the putting on Christ is the positive aspect of sanctification. Sanctification not only involves a life of death, death to the old self, but it also involves new life, renewal, spiritual renovation in our minds. This is similar to the passage in Romans 12 too, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The spirit of your mind, by the way, is the controlling and animating principle of who you are. It is your inner life that needs to be renewed and restored to the image of God. It's not merely the change of outward habits or or modes of life. We're not talking about simply making temperate uh, or dispositions or changes of behavior. Like, oh, if I just work, if I just try harder, I could change this behavior and then it'll be okay. That's not what we're talking about. You know, any of us can simply change our behaviors. We could do that for a season, Right? But that would just be moralism. No, what Paul is talking about here is the renewal of your inner being. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about changing your heart. Not just, not just what, goes, what you do outside so everybody around you thinks, oh, look how wonderful they are, right? He's talking about what's inside. He's talking about your, your inner being. That's what, he's, that's what he's referring to. I'll give you an example. You ever use expletives? You know, the kind of language that is unbecoming of a new creature in Christ. Foul language. Ever leave your lips? Maybe, maybe you've been surprised or angered and it just, it just comes out, right? And afterwards, hopefully, you feel remorse over that. Oh, I shouldn't say stuff like that. Do you know why that happens? You know, for some of us, you could, you could train yourself like, well, you know, around other Christians, I'm not going to talk like that, right? But then there's that moment, just out of comfort. But you know why that happens? Because there's nothing that comes out of your mouth which is not already in your heart. The old sinful man remains. You've got sin to put to death. This is also why Jesus said that cleaning the outside of the cup or the plate is not enough. Remember he was, he was uh, speaking to the Pharisees. Like, you know, you, it's like you wash the outside so it all looks pretty and nice. But you know what's inside is what matters. We do that. We're, we're, we're like Pharisees sometimes. 
Changing behavior might work for a season, but it is not putting on Christ. Our minds must be renewed by God's Word and His Spirit. We must meditate on the Word of God. We must pray diligently. We must avail ourselves of the means of grace. The renewal of the spirit of the mind, then, is the putting on of the new self, Colossians 3.10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. You see, we bear God's image and are renewed in Christ when we put off the sin which remains, the old self, and we put on Christ, the new self, which was, verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, Christ has provided for us His righteousness and holiness. And this is an alien righteousness. It's not from ourselves. It's from outside ourselves. It's not our own. It's Jesus' righteousness. And so as we remove the filthy rags and garments which belong to our old corrupt nature, our own sin, our nature of darkness, we're then to put on the new nature, the righteousness of Christ, because we were created in true righteousness and holiness. We're being renewed inwardly. And so what Paul is doing actually here is pointing us back to creation. Remember, originally man was made to be morally excellent. But in Adam, we fell into sin. We read about this in Genesis. Man was made male and female after the image of God. But when humanity fell into sin, the first man, our, heavenly, our, our earthly father, Adam, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and thus all of humanity was cast into a state of sin and misery. The curse was pronounced on the world, and all of mankind has inherited original sin. The old man, then, has continued to become more and more corrupt. This is what we need to put off. That old corrupt man. We're to put off the old man of sin, which continues to entangle. And we're instead to put on Christ, whose righteousness is ours because of the work of the cross. By faith in Him. We are to be clothed in Jesus. For it is He who covers our sin and our shame, doesn't He? After, remember Adam and Eve, after they fell into sin, they attempted to cover their own shame. Remember God said, who told you you were naked? They were ashamed. They attempted to, to get some leaves and try to cover themselves, but no, God actually provided skins. He covered their shame. Christ, through His death and resurrection, covers our guilt and shame. In His death, He paid the penalty. And so putting on Christ means doing what He commands by walking in His ways. Knowing and doing His Word. Our knowledge of God ought, not to, ought never to be divorced, by the way, from walking in His ways. You need to be a doer of the Word, James tells us. To know Christ is to be like Him in righteousness, to seek to be conformed to His righteousness. The only way you can do that is by knowing and then doing. Well, this is sanctification. When Christ is the affections of our heart, we strive to follow after Him, empowered by His Spirit. And remember, this is only those who have the Spirit. We can't do this without the Spirit. 
But when, when we see Christ this way, when He is the one that we desire, you'll see change in your heart. You'll see sin being put to death. Now, to be clear, it's not that you'll be per- you will perfectly achieve this in this life. You will not perfectly achieve this in this life. In fact, you will spend the rest of your life striving in this way. And you will be perfected in glory. So, I started with saying, the Christian life is not for wimps. It's a life of striving against sin. But this is the striving of the Christian, isn't it? The striving of the Christian is to walk in his ways. It is to put to death sin. The apostles certainly thought so. Jesus certainly thought so. You and I are saved by grace through faith. It is not our work. It is the gift from God. Nevertheless, the Christian is to strive to walk in righteousness and holiness. Following after Christ. For those who are being renewed in Christ are being returned to the true nature after the image of God. The Christian life is hard. The Christian life is one in which our Savior also calls us, calls to us and says this, Any who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, for I offer rest. Our rest, beloved, is in Christ. This is where we find refreshment for our souls. This is where we find salvation. But this does not remove us from a responsibility to strive after Christ, to walk in His ways. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul exhorted the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. What does this mean? In part, it involves turning away from the ways of the world. Taking off the old self, putting on Christ, walking in and for Him. It is wholeheartedly following Jesus, in obedience to His Word. Because Jesus says, if you love Him, what does He say? You will keep my commandments. The Christian is then one who delights in the law of God. Not because we think that we're saved by it, but because we delight in our Savior. Because you've been given a new nature. If you were a follower of Jesus, then you already have the new you. So the Christian life involves daily throwing off and leaving behind that which is wicked. This is what we have to do every single day. Because you and I live in a fallen world. Though we are being perfected, we are not yet perfect. We struggle. We are at war. And we are striving against the sin which remains. We find ourselves sinning because the old man is still there. still clinging. And he will be until we die. And what should we do? I want to leave you with a few questions to consider and ponder in your own hearts. Consider whether or not you are content with your sin. Are you content with your life of sin? Are you actively fighting against the fact that you allow careless words to come out of your mouth? Or if you allow yourselves to look at things you shouldn't or 
do things you shouldn't? Are you content with these things? Are you content to live like the world does? Are you satisfied with consuming with what the world has to offer? Are you fighting against your sin? Or have you simply made peace with your sin? Eh, it's okay. Are you at peace? Or are you, are you at war? But we have the hope of glory, but we are not there yet. The Christian life is a life of striving against sin, being renewed in Christ. And so we are to press on to what lies ahead, forgetting what lies behind, press towards the goal of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. We've been saved by grace. But we've been saved to fight against sin, which remains, until we are caught up in glory. Beloved, my encouragement to you is my exhortation to you do not make peace with your sin do not continue to be content to walk in darkness make your calling election sure no longer walk like the unbeliever does walk in a manner worthy of your calling let's pray together Father in heaven we these, are, these have been hard words But we thank you for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we do confess that we we, we don't always strive against sin. Often we find ourselves content with the sin which remains in us. Help us to put that sin to death. Help us to live as you have called us to. to to walk worthy of the call. We thank you, God, for the grace and mercy of Jesus. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ imputed to, to us by faith. We thank you that Jesus has paid the penalty for sin. Help us to struggle against the presence of sin which remains that all this could be to the glory of Christ, that we may be renewed in our inward spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.